Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Dr. Creasy is currently traveling with his Logos students in Israel, and for the next several episodes, we will be hearing live, on-site teachings from the trip. We're also happy to announce the launch of the latest course in the Logos online classroom. Dr. Creasy teaches Deuteronomy. Podcast listeners will get 20% off by using the coupon code SCRIPTUREUNCOVERED at checkout. Just go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom. Now, here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy, teaching from the Holy Land. So we are in the territory of Dan in the city, the fortified city of the tribe of Dan. And recall, when David died, Solomon becomes king. And Solomon took that loose, con- uh, David had taken a loose confederation of 12 tribes and forged it into a united monarchy. Through warfare, David conquered strategic areas on the Via Maris, the main international trade route going up the coast, and on the King's Highway, and three major linking roads that brought them together. So he controlled the trade routes, and that was pretty good. He controlled the trade routes, and then he made a treaty with Hiram, King of Tyre. Tyre is the seaport up in Lebanon today, and he controlled, Hiram controlled, the, uh, uh, the Mediterranean routes. But when David dies, Solomon inherits all of that. And the very first thing Solomon did was marry Pharaoh's daughter. So Egypt was the food production center of the ancient world. And now, marrying Pharaoh's daughter, Solomon vertically integrates the entire economy with him controlling it. The production center, the land distribution routes, and the Mediterranean distribution routes. And that's where all the money came from that Solomon had. Huge, huge amounts. His personal checking account, we read in 1 Kings, was over, in today's terms, over $25 billion a year. That's not counting all the trade routes and everything else. That was his money, right? And all these fabulous things that he did. Well, Solomon inherited the United Monarchy that David had built, but Solomon made two big mistakes. He liked building things, kind of like Herod the Great. He liked building things. Solomon taxed his people beyond bear, taxed them beyond bear. And Solomon introduced the practice of corvée, which is conscripted labor. So he conscripted his own people for forced labor. And the people in Jerusalem had to work for Solomon on the building projects for three months out of every year for free. Right, so if you were a shopkeeper, what's that do to you? So when Solomon dies, what's going to happen to the united monarchy and that's the story we're about to tell here and i'm reading from first kings chapter 11 beginning of verse 41 as for the other events of solomon's reign all he did and the wisdom he displayed are they not written in the book of the annals of solomon solomon reigned in jerusalem over all israel for 40 years a whole generation and then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of david his father in jerusalem and rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. So now Rehoboam inherits everything. But Rehoboam has to gain support from the other 11 tribes. Solomon's of the tribe of Judah, as was David, but he needs support from the other 11 tribes. So Rehoboam went to Shechem. He went north to Shechem, where the northern tribes are. He went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king, to validate his kingship. When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this, Now, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. 
Jeroboam was one of Solomon's chief builders. And already there was incipient rebellion, underground rebellion. And Jeroboam was leading that rebellion against Solomon. People were very unhappy with the conscripted labor, with the taxes and so on. So there was real trouble brewing. You didn't quite see it yet, but it was brewing. Solomon knew about it and Jeroboam fled to Egypt and got political asylum with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who was also Solomon's father-in-law. So the king of Egypt is playing both sides. So when Solomon dies, Rehoboam comes to the throne, Jeroboam comes back representing the 11 northern tribes. They sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, and they said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we'll serve you. In other words, lower the taxes and end conscripted labor, and we'll support you. Rehoboam answered, I need to think about that. Go away for three days, come back to me. So the people went away for three days. Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. He asked them, how would you advise me to answer the people? And the elders who had served Solomon said, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Grant the concession, lower the taxes and conscripted labor, and they will support you. That's what you should do. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men that he had grown up with who were serving him. He said to them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make our yoke lighter, you tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. A king should be feared, not loved. And I love that biblical euphemism. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. <laughs> Literally, my, my little thing is bigger than my father's. I got bigger cojones than he does, right? So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men, and he said to them, My father made your yoke heavy, I'll make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. So Jerob, God told Solomon. Now Solomon built the temple and it was dedicated in 959 BC. He started construction the fourth year of his reign. It was finished in seven years, 959 BC, it's dedicated. But Solomon also built places of worship for Baal and Molech and all these other gods within eyesight of the temple in Jerusalem. There was child sacrifice being practiced in these other places, just a stone's throw from the temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you imagine? How, how did he... <laughs> what man in his right mind would want two women telling him what to do? You know, 
<laughs> he had 700. But why did he have 700 wives? Because Solomon overlaid his kingdom with a brilliant administrative structure and he married all these women. They were daughters of tribal warlords from all over the Middle East. So we were all family and he was the godfather, if you will. So by marriage, by bringing the daughters of the tribal warlords into the harem, we were all family now. Well, <laughs> God said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, I am taking the kingdom away from you and I'll give it to someone else. I won't do it in your day because for the sake of your father, David, but when you die, the kingdom is going to Jeroboam. So that's exactly what's about to happen. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. So he needs a tough enforcer. The guy in charge of corvée, the conscripted labor, is sent out to deal with the people. And what happened? All Israel stoned him to death. There is a gigantic rebellion underway. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get in his chariot and escape. <laughs> so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. It's the beginning of a civil war between the tribe of Judah, southern territory, house of David, and what will become the nation Israel. Judah will have its capital at Jerusalem. Israel will have its capital at Samaria. Remember we talked about the Good Samaritan in the New Testament? There are no Good Samaritans. They're all bad people as far as the people of Judah are concerned. Right? That was the capital of the breakaway northern kingdom. And the civil war went on for over 80 years. Well, Rehobo uh, Jeroboam has a problem. Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there. And from there he went up and he built up Peniel. So he's fortifying his cities for a protracted war. But Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. When the temple was built, uh, back in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God gives the law and the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle, and three times a year, if possible, all Jews were to go to the one place, all the tribes together, and celebrate Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Passover remembers the Exodus, Pentecost remembers the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and Tabernacles uh, remembers the wanderings in the wilderness. So three times a year, they come together and celebrate as one people. Once the temple is built, because Tabernacle was portable, it moved around, but once the temple is built in Jerusalem, Jerusalem becomes the center of everything and the temple becomes the center of everything. So now all the tribes from up here in Dan and everywhere else would go to Jerusalem three times a year and celebrate together as one people. And families and For everybody. Not, not everybody went, of course. If, if you went to one, you know, Passover was the big one. But you were in, in Jesus' family, we read in the Gospel according to Luke that they went to Jerusalem on Passover as was their custom. So they would travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem every year. And Jesus did too, even into his adult public ministry. 
So everybody will go to Jerusalem together. But the temple was dedicated in 959 BC. Solomon dies in 930. So the temple's only been standing for 29 years. So it's not really firmly established yet. That custom of going to Jerusalem has only been for what? Not even a generation. So Jeroboam thought the kingdom will likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifice at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to King Rehoboam. And that's exactly what would have happened. You know, if they continue going to Jerusalem as a sign of unity, all this is going to blow over. Jeroboam will be seen as a rebel leader and he'll be killed. And the whole thing will revert to the house of David. So after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too, much, too hard, too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. He set one up in Bethel, the southern border of the northern kingdom, and one at the furthest northern border in Dan, right here. This, is, this marks the spot of the altar of the golden calf in Dan, right here. That little structure suggests an altar, but you can see the footprint uh, for the altar in the foundation stones. So. This thing, in a, one of the big understatements in the Bible, this thing became a sin. <laughs> the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other up here. And Jeroboam built shrines on high places and so on. So the northern tribes no longer were to go to Jerusalem. They could go to Bethel or they could come up here to Dan where the golden calves were. And what's the deal with the golden calves? Didn't we have a golden calf somewhere before? at Mount Sinai, right? Why would they be worshiping this golden calf? The people had spent 400 years in Egypt, the most dazzling, sophisticated culture on the face of the earth. And the Egyptian religion, at the time the Israelites were there, was already as old as Christianity is today. And there were many gods. Oh, I don't want to go on too much of a digression, but many gods in Egypt. Those gods were all different aspects of one God, personified aspects of one God. Everything, absolutely everything in Judaism and Christianity has its antecedents in ancient Egypt. When we go there, I'm hoping January 2021, we'll see that. When the king Pharaoh was buried in a pyramid, or in the tomb of the kings, in, 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 uh, opposite Luxor in the Valley of the Kings. He was mummified, and it wasn't just him. Every Egyptian was mummified. There were three levels of mummification, royal, and that for well-to-do officials and ordinary people. The mummification process took 74 days for a king, 35 days for the middle level, and seven days for the lower level. Hence, the lower level mummies didn't survive. They, they deteriorated. And you only have mostly the, the upper level mummies. But why would you be mummified and placed in your tomb with your stuff, right? Uh, I, I can just see Father Richard being placed in his tomb with, a, with an iPhone. You know, it's got to happen. You need your stuff. 
because the Egyptians believed absolutely 100% in a physical bodily resurrection. At some point in the future, the king would be raised to life and he would lead his people who would also be raised to life, he would lead them into eternity. So does any of that ring a bell? Absolutely. So everything in Judaism and Christianity has its antecedents there. One, one aspect of God is the nurturing, mothering aspect. And the Egyptian goddess Hathor represented the nurturing mother goddess of Egypt. She's pictured often, and we'll see in Egypt when we go to visit various temples, she's pictured typically either with the horns of a, of a cow and a sun disk, a woman with the horns of a cow and a sun disk, or a calf, a calf. So when they get to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain and he disappears for 40 days and they haven't heard a darn thing from him and we've been out there in the wilderness, now that our leader's gone, what are we going to do? We are well and truly screwed. What are we going to do? They turn to a god they know, the nurturing mother goddess Hathor, whose center of worship was in the Sinai. That's who they turn to. And she's portrayed, her iconography is a cow, a calf. So when they build a golden calf, it's an image of the Egyptian goddess Hathor. That's who they're calling on. We need help here. We're in big trouble. So that goes all the way back to the Exodus. It's an easy transition to do it again right here. Golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Now, if you were a Levitical priest of the tribe of Dan prior to Jeroboam, for 29 years, you just loved making the journey, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Remember, we're going south, but we're going up to Jerusalem. You love doing that journey. Why, if I had been a Levitical priest, I would put together pilgrimages to Jerusalem. You know? And it was, a, it was a great thing. All the people came together, the families, and they were on the road, and they went to Jerusalem, they celebrated. And when we go to Jerusalem tomorrow, we'll see when you enter Jerusalem what happens, uh, how the celebration goes. And uh, it was a wonderful thing. But now you are that Levitical priest at Dan and you cannot go anymore to Jerusalem. The king has forbidden that pilgrimage. You cannot. You worship here at Dan at the altar of the golden calf. But you're a Levitical priest. And you're not allowed to go anymore. Psalm 42. And how many are in my current live classes? Okay, we'll be doing Psalm 42 when we get back. Because we're studying the Psalms right now. We'll be doing Psalm 42. And uh, 42 and 43. They're actually one Psalm. Psalm 42. I, I call it the Psalm of the Old Priest at Dan. So imagine all these liturgy going on here at the altar of the golden calf and over there a little bit out of sight under the trees is this old priest of Dan and as all this is going on he says as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you my God my soul thirsts for God for the living God when can I go and meet with God as a deer pants for streams of water. Did we see streams of water down here? And you would have seen deer too. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? 
these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, the mountain with snow, from Mount Mizar. We heard the rapids of the Dan River as we walked up here. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. The Psalm of the Old Priest of Dan. All the imagery here of Dan, of the rushing waters, the roar of the waters, the deer, the thirst, and he can no longer go to Jerusalem. Dan. And here we are at the altar of the golden calf. How cool is that? Okay. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget to go to LogosBibleStudy.com, click on Online Classroom, and check out our latest course, Dr. Creasy Teaches Deuteronomy. Use the coupon code SCRIPTUREUNCOVERED to save 20% at checkout. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.